Hello and welcome to the All In Podcast. This week I'm joined by Justin Rothlingshoffer, a former hockey player, CrossFit Games athlete, author, and self-proclaimed data guy. Justin began his curiosity for seeking his highest performance at the age of 13, spending his time reading books on performance rather than playing video games like most of his peers. After his athletic career ended, he went on to be a strength and conditioning coach in the NHL. At that time, Justin realized he had sacrificed so much in all these other areas of his life to reach that one career goal. And that led him to creating programs to help others from Fortune 500 CEOs, elite athletes, or anyone who's striving for greatness in all areas of their life. In this podcast, Justin shares how striving to develop eight important pillars in your life leads to organic, all-encompassing contentment, why what works for Tom Brady might not work for you, his main keys to getting better sleep, the value of tracking your HRV, and how to use wearables to track your data. If you're striving towards greatness in every or all areas of your life, this is definitely a podcast you want to listen to and make sure to share it with a friend as well. If you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, leave a review if you feel so compelled, and without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Welcome to the All In Podcast. This week we have Justin Rothlingshoffer, former hockey player, CrossFit Games athlete, author, and self-proclaimed data guy. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is uh, really exciting for me, and uh, I love getting on and, and chatting, Natalie, especially with people who have like minds in, in a lot of this stuff, so uh, excited to uh, to dive in. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to nerd out on some of these things. Uh, I think like we were talking offline before, I, we almost had a, a power outage that almost stalled this, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm so passionate and energized to talk about this right now, so I'm excited we've been able to make it work, and I'd, I'd love to start with, if you could just walk uh, walk us through what you do. Yeah, absolutely, great question. So what I do theoretically from, let me back up. You hear all the time people talk about high-performance coaching. Yeah. But what high-performance coaching has become is it's become commercialized and it's become commoditized. So the word high-performance is we got high-performance mattresses, high-performance clothing, high-performance supplementation, high-performance food, uh, high-performance coffee, you name it. And everything has just become this high-performance generalization. Well, by nature general and average is as far away from high performance as you could ever imagine. And so what I do is I utilize data, DNA, epigenetic, biomarking, um, and deep intrinsic information to create personalized programming, personalized uh, uh, systems that athletes, teams, corporations, entrepreneurs, executives can work off of to create the changes that they are truly looking for to optimize themselves, not just for the short term, but also for the long term. Mm, I love that because I think a lot of high performance coaches, they might just say, oh, I focus on the mindset or the psychology, but not very many actually bring in the, the data side. What kind of inspired you to do that and kind of bring your own flair to it? Yeah, because I think it goes back to what I started to see in the in the field um, was uh, it was, it was all just anecdotal. It was all just, Hey, this worked for me, or this is what, uh, Tom Brady did because, 
uh, he, he eats all a uh, very 80% plant-based diet. So I'm going to eat an 80% plant-based diet or, um, uh, this ex-athlete or this ex-entrepreneur, whatever does this. So I'm going to do this. And that's what a lot of coaches started to talk about. And there became just these vast generalizations. And even when it's science-backed, where you're like, hey, this product is science-backed of what it does for this, 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 and this. But how do you know that that is your chemical makeup? How do you know that that is your operating system within your body that is going to create the change that you need? We don't know unless we look into it and uh, going back to as many as 25 years ago as a 13 year old kid, I had the goal of playing in the national hockey league and that's what I wanted to do. And that's what my obsession was. And so everything that I did at that age to, to kind of get there and play was, was all focused around how can I be more consistent? How can I be the best version of myself? I knew I wasn't going to out talent anybody. I, I was a dime a dozen player. It was uh, I was, I had talent, but I was not an exceptional talent. I was going to have to work to get there and have to be consistent day in and day out. And by making sure that I was monitoring my sleep, was monitoring my uh, HRV, was monitoring my uh, nutritional intake, was monitoring all these things and, and knowing my uh, vitamin levels, knowing my micronutrient density within my body, knowing these things. As a 13-year-old, that's the, I mean, I wasn't, playing awesome. video, I wasn't playing video games. I wasn't reading comic books. I was reading anatomy and physiology books. I was reading <laughs> articles on HRV and white papers and studies to try and understand this stuff. And it really just then propelled through my career and through my undergrad, my master's degree, some of my doctorate work, and then um, into my continual learning, even up to today. Um, it, it's just an absolute obsession of mine is trying to figure out how to bring out and enhance the high performing individuals or those who want to be the elite because anybody can be elite. Absolutely. Anybody has the potential. Anybody has the ability to, it's the question of, are you tapping into the right areas that you need to tap into to unleash that? Mm, I'm I'm so glad that you said that and said that everybody or anybody can can be elite because that's really the premise of this whole podcast is like going all in on yourself and betting on yourself whatever it is that you want to do and I think a lot of people look at that the top athletes and they say oh genetics or oh is this or I, I posted a video the other day about the stats of people in the Super Bowl and how many sports they played in high school and people said well they played two or three or four sports in high school because they were just superior genetics and I was like, that is just such a, I don't like that mindset that people look at things in that sense. It's like, you can become what you want, or at least pursue the top of your potential. If you focus on some of these things, because like when I started snowboarding, I was not good. <laughs> and I started late and, uh, and somehow I made it. And that was similar. I was like, when people were partying after the competition, I'm going to go to the gym because I know that's my only chance to get ahead and do these things to make sure that I can try to compete with them when they have the natural talent and they're just relying on that. So I love, love that you said that. No, you're, you're exactly right, Natalie. And it's not that you can be elite in everything. Right. It's, that, <laughs> it's that you become elite in where you put your focus and your time and attention. And there's a lot of people that have genetical makeups that predispose them to being better at certain things. Right. And if you start to identify that as a young age or um, even at a point where uh, you or I are at now and in, in terms of our age bracket categories, you can start to focus and utilize the things you're predisposed to being really good at 
or predisposed to functioning at a high level at and going all in in that area. And you're going to get a lot further along. However, in those areas, even once you decide to say, hey, I want to build X business, you can build X business if you go all in on this. You're going to be successful. You may, you're, the, 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 the journey is not linear. The journey is going to be undulating. It's going to be, there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows. But if you truly want to build that business, you'll build that business. It's not going to be the business you think it's going to be today because it's going to change over the course of time. Just like your snowboarding career, just like my hockey career, just like um, Michael Jordan's basketball career. Every single one had highs and lows on the way to the pinnacle and where you were and where you were up uh, working from. I mean, take your story for example. You were a snowboarder turned CrossFitter and now traveled the world CrossFitting. You weren't amazing at. CrossFitting as you were in your peak shape and peak performance for snowboarding, it just didn't work that way. But yeah. you set your mind to something and that became the obsession. But in in nature, what I do is help people pull that out of them, whether their arena is snowboarding, whether their arena is the um, law firm, whether their arena is uh, their home office as an entrepreneur, or whether their home office is um, uh, the... Uh, hockey rink like it doesn't matter because there are certain characteristics that are just built into winners and we can deduce them down to eight different factors in in the way that that we work it comes down to nutrition hydration uh, sleep immune function environment stress management and mindset and if you're able to deduce them down to things as simple as that all of a sudden when we're doing the things that are going to make you be the most consistent version of yourself, your focus, your goal, and your drive, you can now be the most consistent person every single day. And that consistency, iteratively over a course of time, is going to create success. I always say talent will get you noticed, but consistency gets you paid. And how and so so often we're trying to accrue talent, whereas we should really be looking to accrue consistency and how do we do that? Right. Because some people can be motivated and intense for a week and then they fall off. And it's that person who makes that 1% increase every single day that ultimately is going to be the, in the best shape six months from now versus the person who was motivated for one week and completely fell off for the other three. Totally. I want to go back to what you said with kind of, you know, you see that Tom Brady is eating like this. You're like, I should eat like this. And I think this is a conversation that comes up a ton in high performance. And I've been hosting like daily rooms uh, on Clubhouse on high performance. And that's something that always gets touched on is like self-awareness and intention. Because if you don't have that basis of self-awareness, and this is for everything, like even the social media consulting that I do, if you don't have that basis of self-awareness, Anything that someone who is above you or someone uh, that you're motivated by or looking at or whatever, uh, like this this top entrepreneur or this top athlete says, you're going to follow because they're like, oh, they're doing that. That's what I want to do. I'm going to do it. But you don't realize that one, that might not be what they did to get there. That might be just what they're doing now that they're there. Or two, it might not be the best way for you. For example, there's, I, I don't know if you agree with this or, or not, but there's not one best way to eat. There is many different ways that people can eat and it's different for everybody based on their genetics and their makeup and what they can also just be consistent with. Um, so how do you ap approach that conversation with someone or how do you help people with that whole basis of like 
that foundation of self-awareness. I love that. It, it's because it's such, it's, it's a topic and a conversation I have with people all the time. And what it comes down to is we just start to emulate people in which we see, oh, and, and we get to, let's, you know what, let's take Tom Brady for an example, because I've dove in on this probably five or six different times now over the last two, three weeks since the, since the Super Bowl, really. It's a hot topic. <laughs> yeah, and if we take a look at Tom Brady's career, Tom Brady wasn't drafted 199th overall because 198 picks before him were mistakes. That's not why. It's because Tom Brady we know today was not the Tom Brady who was in college at Michigan. The yeah. Tom Brady at college at Michigan, nobody really ever thinks about this or knows this, but Tom Brady really never played any snaps in college. He would eat nachos before games. He would enjoy a real solid uh, night out with the boys rather than going to the gym. Uh, he'd stay up all night rather than going to bed at 8.30. And his body was literally, if you take a look at it, it's the most famous picture of his uh, picture before um, the uh, the combine. Even his like facial he, structure from then to now is different. Just, just an absolute bag of milk. And that's yeah. what, <laughs> and he did not, he did not look the part. And so all of a sudden he got to the league and some habits started to change. He started to get some formation of these habits. He started to get exposed to more things. Well, all of a sudden at age 24, he gets his first shot to play. He already had, he, he was a talent. He was good. He has a mind on him that allows him to be prepared and to enact in a certain way. And all of a sudden, then he tears his ACL. Let's not forget that. He had that major injury that had him off for an entire year. I happen to know one of his team, one of his team members, let's put it that way. One of the people that are on his like body engineering team. Right. And when that happened, he re basically redevoted himself to completely changing the way in which he did things. Yeah. And you start to see from that year on, he continued to build and build and build. And the other thing people don't realize is between the ages of 28 and 36, he did not win a Super Bowl. He was in the building stages. And all of a sudden between 36 and 43, he won five. And it was the time in which it took to accrue these habits. It was, okay, great. He eats 80% plant-based um in his meal now, he goes to bed typically around 8.30, 9.30 every single night. These are all habits that he's built up. Why? Because he's been getting the DNA, the epigenetic, the biomarking, the gut biome testing, the uh, the regular blood analytics. The, he knows what his body needs. He's built himself up to this point of where he's optimizing his system. He's optimizing his engine so that when he goes out and people look at him and you're like, oh my God, you're better now at 43 coming on 44 than you were when you were 32, 24, 27 years old. And that's not a lie. It's because he has dedicated himself so heavily to his craft. He is so dialed in to those eight areas that I spoke about, but not just dialed in on a sense of Oh, I'm going to do what the general population says, <laughs> or I, I love, you know what? Collagen is all the rave right now. I'm going to really start utilizing collagen and peptides. Are they great? Yes. I love them. I think they're great. 
a great tool. There's a lot of great tools out there. Sound machines are great for sleeping. There's certain mattresses that are spectacular. Saunas are great. Infrared therapy is great. Cold immersion is great. Plant-based diets are great. Um, meat is great. There, all of these tools in which we talk about all the time are great. But what is great for you? And what is great for you at the stage that you're at? And yes. that's what we help deduce down is that we, we help find what is great for you now. And then we get on a path to find out what is great for you tomorrow. And then what is great for you next week, next month, next year, so that the person you are today, the athlete you are today, the entrepreneur you are today, the, the talent output person machine that you are today is going to be better and optimized tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Uh, I love that. And I think there's there's so much more to that Tom Brady story than the resistance bands or just the plant-based uh, diet, right? Like, uh, yeah, I'm telling you what, AB12 is a business for a reason. And it's it it's all based around bands and plant-based protein. But that's the, literally, it's a, a speck of sand in the, uh, in the beach. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You hit so many chords with that, especially with the, the story of the ACL. Like, for example, something I saw with members of the, the Canadian snowboard team is they hated to go to the gym. They hated to do any of that stuff. Right. All of a sudden they tear their ACL and now gym, 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 and, and everything is about the gym. And it was like, what could we have done to make you realize that before that happened? And uh, that just, it, it boggles my mind. It's a, it's a great point that you bring up. And a lot of it has to do with if you come into any person's life, a lot of the times you see this slowly escalating uh, level of success. Whereas, uh, and, and you take just the average person's life where uh, you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a job, you enter the corporate world, you get promoted year after year after year after year. I'm doing what is supposed to be done of me. Uh, you take any athlete, for example, they go from junior hockey to college or to uh, minor pro, and then they sign their first contract, and then they're in the minors, and then they work their way up, blah, 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 blah. It's that iterative cycle that everyone just falls into. It's yeah. just like, okay, I guess I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But there's a pinpoint time something acute that happens. And this is why they always talk about, and again, talking in generalities, but when somebody says failure was the best thing that happened to me, the reason is, or that injury was the first, the best thing that happened to me, because what happens is it interrupts the cycle in which we're in. It interrupts that iterative upward process that really doesn't challenge anybody. It's okay. I'm challenged. I'm trying to get to, I'm trying to get that next promotion. I'm trying to get that next um, uh, that next contract, I'm trying to get onto the Olympic team, whatever it might be. But all of a sudden, when something changes, something puts a, uh, an immediate like fork in the road and says, hey, we have to change this. It's a wake up call for a lot of people. And then they go, oh my God, I need to change the way I'm acting because it's not going to get me to where I want to be because I'm no longer there. That could be yeah. getting cut from a team. That could be getting an injury. That can be uh, suffering a heart attack. That could be 
um, losing a family member, that whatever that acute moment is in your life that makes you aware that there is something greater that you need to do, something greater in which you're operating in, that is the that is the pivotal moment where we need to grab onto that and start asking greater questions, start asking better questions. What if we can ask more informative questions, we're going to get more informative answers. I, and I say this all the time. We are all going to sleep. We are all going to eat. We are all going to work. We are all going to train or exercise. We are all going to have be in some type of environment at every single point in time. We're all going to think. If you want to be great, why would you, if you're doing these things anyways, why would you not want to do every single one of these things great? Yes. You're doing them anyway. Why do you want to just do them mediocre? Why do you just want to do them average? Why do you just want to do them okay? Like, let's do them great. If you're going to be sleeping for six hours, do you want to get an average six hours of sleep or do you want to get a great six hours of sleep? If you're going to be eating a meal, do you want to eat an okay meal or do you want to eat a great meal? Something that's great for you. If you want to going to be exercising for 20 minutes, do you want to do an average 20 minute workout? Or do you want to do a great 20 minute workout? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to be great. I want yeah. to be great in everything. And all of a sudden, if we can decide, and this is the, this is the biggest thing, the difference between good, great, and elite is a very, very fine line, extremely fine line. But when we can deduce that down to information and information that we can apply to our life, it's almost like cheating because we've been given the equation. We've been given the answers. Hey, you need to have this, this, and this micro, um, uh, micronutrient because you're genetically deficient in it. And thus it's impinging or like impinging a system within our body. That's not allowing us to perform at a certain level or think at a certain level. Okay, great. Let's optimize and let's start utilizing this because now systems are starting to work in a greater way. Well, you're predisposed to having fast twitch muscle fibers. Let's dive into those and utilize those to the best of our ability and train the heck out of them so that all of a sudden they can, again, shift us into a different degree rather than putting you into some other, some other facet. When, how are we sleeping? Like your circadian rhythm is naturally set up so that your optimized sleep window is between 9.15 and 10.20. Okay, awesome. Let's make sure that our night routine gets us into bed between 9.15 and 10.20, making sure that we're sleeping at this time. Because now our cortisol melatonin cycles are going to be in line. We're going to wake up energized. We're going to have a greater uh, efficacy to want to work during the day, really put in the time. The motivation comes around because we're doing things the right way. And it, it literally is cheating. It's a, it's a guidebook or a blueprint to you as an individual. And it's taking the information and applying it. Because if it was only about information, we'd all be billionaires with six packs because there's more enough, more than enough information out there. But we know that's not the case. Librarians would be the richest people in the world. <laughs> 100%. Exactly. But it comes back to being able to apply it to our life in a very applicable way and a way in which we can quantify and help direct us in the place that is good for us. Mm. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, taking action is everything and knowing what's right for you, I think is just so, so important. I'm loving this so much already. Uh, I want to dive into like some of those things, those eight things. And I know that we, you know, we can't really get caught up in generalities because of course things are really specific to other people. Um, but yeah, like, let's start off with sleep. Cause I think that's a, that's a big topic. What are some kind of keys that maybe apply to everyone for sleep or some ways that people can figure out, uh, maybe what's the best sleep schedule or sleep habits for them? Yeah, so it's a great great point. So if you look at the literature, a lot of going back to the way in which we um, in which we sleep and which natural circadian rhythms are, is it dates back to our ancestorhood. So uh, we would rise with the sun and we would uh, we would go to sleep with uh, the sunset. And so ideally, depending on where we are. And that's why, again, during seasons, we get more or less sleep depending on the seasons and our circadian rhythm is meant to change. And so if we go to bed, we should ideally be starting to go to bed anywhere from two to three hours after the sun sets. And we should be waking up somewhere in that neighborhood of sunrise to maybe an hour, hour and a half after. And what ultimately determines that is our schedules, what we prioritize, are we on our phones? Are we on our computers? Are we watching Netflix? Are we like so many things in and around us are starting to really truly impact that and um, and, and are creating these uh, negative sleep patterns for ourselves. So what I, again, if we're gonna go more into the generalities here is it's, it's figuring out and, and again, here's a way that we can do it not general. So find two or three days where you are not having to get up with the clock, not having to really go to bed with anything and really become aware of your body. And the moment the sun sets, wherever you are, give yourself a three hour timer and become very intrinsically aware. Don't watch TV. Don't play on your computer. Don't be texting, but get ready, get dinner ready, um, clean the house, do whatever chores you need to do. And then when your body starts to say, man, I'm a little bit tired, start to answer that, have a shower, get ready for bed, maybe do some yoga, meditate, whatever it might be. And then go to sleep when your body says it's time to go to sleep. If it's 9.15, it's 9.15. If it's 8.45, it's 8.45. If it's 10, it's 10. But go to sleep. Make a note of what time that was. Don't set an alarm. Wake up when your body wakes up. Do that for three or four days in a row. You can take the average. That becomes your general window. And that's based on your natural circadian rhythm. Now, a way in which we can optimize that and reset our cortisol melatonin cycle is a simple three, two, one rule that I like to uh, imply here. So three hours before bed. So if we find our optimal time to go to bed is around 10, three hours before bed, we don't have any more major meals. So it's 7 p.m., no more major meals. Two hours before bed, no more sympathetic stimulating work. So uh, whether that be um, whether that be work from um, uh, our job, whether that be uh, working out, whether that be uh, something of that nature, we would just eliminate that as well. And then one hour before bed, no more blue light. So no more blue light emissions, no more access to blue light, no more TV, um, uh, cell phone, uh, anything, any screen time that's emitting that blue light. And then in the morning, when we wake up within an hour and a half of waking up, we want to make sure that we're getting sunlight of some 
form of sunlight exposure because the photoreceptors on our skin and our eyes allow ourselves to become, to reset that, um, that melatonin cortisol cycle. Uh, we want to get some type of movement because that again is going to get the glymphatic system and the lymphatic system working. So eliminating toxins from our body, but also resetting the cortisol melatonin cycle. And then we want to make sure that we're doing some type of grounding work. So getting some type of feet on the ground, some type of resetting of our body's uh, electromagnetic field, because we are magnetically driven as, in nature as human beings. Um, and so those are kind of the, the immediate quick takeaways that we can have that, uh, that can help us get deeper quality, higher restful uh, sleep simply by the habits in which we uh, engage in. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's been a game changer for me is the sunlight exposure. And like, I'll go out barefoot in, in the snow in the morning after my meditation, because usually, I mean, in the winter, I find it, it's a little bit easy to get up before the sunrise, because the sunrise sure. does happen, like, I don't know, maybe 7am, maybe I think it's a little bit, uh, no, it's actually probably after 7am now. Um, and so basically, you know, I'll, I'll do my meditation and then I'll go out on the deck and I'll be barefoot in the snow. And then I'll try to spend time just looking at the sunrise. And I do find that really helps. And I mean, from, from what I've heard that it helps with the circadian rhythm and then releasing the right chemicals later in the day, um, to go to sleep. And that's been something that I've been, you know, kind of preaching to everybody is like, get outside if, if you can, and just see the sunrise. I, I find, you know, those days where you sleep in and it's so far after the sun has risen those are the days where you just are groggy and then you find it hard to get to sleep and it just kind of goes into the cycle yeah and you're just you end up chasing the day and um you, you notice that internally a lot of things are just all over the place and so that's the uh, and i mean it's all science driven the other thing that is really key um and a lot of things that that actually might interest your audience i think is um uh, we, there's been a lot of EMF radiation, so uh, electromagnetic field. And I remember I talked about how uh, our body is one big electromagnetic field itself. And so things such as uh, your phones, things such as your computers, things such as uh, the, the, the bird, um, you know, that the, 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 the smart home where you can control oh, your right, yep. and everything. Um, these are all emitting waves, your Wi-Fi connections in your homes. Um, these things all disrupt your inner um, chemical balance that's going on. And so when that happens, it actually impacts you at a at a extremely great rate and can cause cancer, can cause headaches, can cause uh, long-term chronic illness, can cause sleeplessness, headaches, ringing in the ears, uh, you name it. It has they're really high levels of uh, chronic issues. And so things such as making sure that you have um, uh, your phone in airplane mode when, when you're sleeping, uh, putting your Wi-Fi on a timer and shutting it off at night, um, having uh, going fiber optic for your Wi-Fi connection rather than the typical um, uh, Wi-Fi that we have, uh, looking at your, um, electric meter. And so right now, a lot of people are getting these, um, smart meters. So right. the people who are reading them just come by with wands. They don't have to get it out of your truck and they can read your, your, um, your, uh, your meter. But 
if you get those smart meters swapped out, all of a sudden that radiation's gone. All that happens is the guys to get out of the truck. So look for the smart meters and get rid of them if you have them. Um, I've heard uh, I've heard someone say that before, and I never really thought about it. I know where I live now; it's uh, it's just like a fixed rate, so every month it's usually the same. So they don't have those smart meters. Yeah. But I know back, you know, uh, at my old place, and then for example, I'm sure where my parents live because they live in the suburb. I'm sure they have a smart meter. It's 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 unbelievable what's going on in terms of all of these different aspects that can truly impact the the quality of sleep in which we're getting and um and, and those uh, uh the the MF radiation that's just present everywhere uh, just because it's the way in which our society's gone is uh, we've gone so far to that tech side that it's now impacting us in, in really really negative ways and just these little tips. Um, can really be be things that uh, they come up uh, to impact us. The other thing, I'm sure a lot of people have not looked at this. Look at your user manual or your user agreement on your cell phones, and they will. They actually say in there, it is highly recommended that your cell phone never come within one inch of your body. Oof. <laughs> and so, if it is on your body, it's always on airplane mode for me. If it's ever touching, mm-hmm. it's ever in my pocket. If it's ever touching in any way. It's always in airplane mode. Otherwise, it's always sitting on a counter. It's sitting away from me, but it's never touching my body. And it's simply because of all the continual um, uh, uh, waves that are coming through. Uh, Not a great story, but um, a story that um, one of uh, our clients had was uh, their daughter um, always store her... um, uh, her phone and her bra uh, and it, that was it and so one day she went uh, to the doctor and um, they found a lump and stuff like that and uh, uh, it was on the left breast and lo and behold it was where she put her cell phone all the time I've, I've heard something like that, that before it is it's and it's not I mean that's not a coincidence and yeah. It's and it's amazing to see how we are how we're using these these things and and ultimately affecting us in really really negative ways. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I've heard something about that before, and that I mean, it's always something I think about. What's interesting is like I'll put my phone on my body and not think about it, but if I put my phone, my dog is like lays on it. I'm like, no, get away! I don't want anything to happen to you. It's it's just it's so interesting how um, we just kind of forget about our own health, but then those other people that we care about, we're like, oh no, <laughs> don't don't do that. But I, I want to dive into because I I was telling you before I I had a, a few podcasts ago. I believe it was episode sixty seven for those. Um, listening where uh, my friend Liz and I were talking about this experience that we were having with we were getting really high REM sleep so we did a whole podcast on it and we were talking about some of the things we were going to track so rather than using we we both wear the whoop band um, using it for for example saying how does our sleep impact our day we were trying to see how does our day impact our sleep with the REM because we felt we were always getting sleep consistency we were getting 100% of the sleep that our our whoop would say but night after night, our whoop is saying, you got high REM sleep. This is making up for possible low REM sleep the night before. But we're like, this has been years of this. We have not had a low REM sleep. We're having, you know, sometimes up to 50% REM sleep. So one, we're like, that seems kind of 
crazy, like is, is the whoop off. But at the same time, we were also thinking, what is it that we're going through, especially in 2020, that could be triggering this really high REM for us? Is it that we're doing a ton of learning, a lot of introspection? And so we've been trying to trying to correlate some stuff, but I, I have never heard anyone talk about high REM sleep. And so I've been trying to bring it up with, with experts and like yourself, I'd love your takes because you look online and everything is how to get more REM sleep. And for us, we're like, but we're getting such high REM. And all I see is the only thing I saw one study that correlated getting over 25% REM sleep night overnight as being correlated with high anxiety and depression because your mind is doing all that problem solving all the time. So we're like, how did, how can we get that normal REM sleep? And is this even an issue? Uh, and if, if you've ever seen that before. Yeah, so a couple things. One is I'll kind of take a, a couple steps back. So anytime that we sleep, we sleep in, I don't care if you're male, female, young, old, fit, fat, black, white, doesn't matter. Everybody sleeps in 90 minute cycles, right? Okay? So it's 90 minute windows. And those there's four stages that occur. It's light sleep, slow wave sleep. That slow wave sleep is a physically restorative sleep. Then you have REM, which is a mentally restorative sleep. And that REM sleep ultimately is where you have um, the highest level of brainwave function. Okay. And the, you've got your, uh, your dreams that no longer occur there. Every, every, that's, that's really what that, that goal point is. And then you go through a wake cycle and then you go back through it again. And it's, and it, and it repeats over and over and over again over the course of the night. Right. Now, what happens is if you are uh, in, in certain brain waves throughout the day, if you optimize yourself and you end up being in different brainwave states throughout the day that help you get there. If you're a, if you're a big meditator, for example, you're going to be able to get into these higher level of theta and delta brainwave states a lot easier, which because when we are in any type of given day or time, like right now, we're in a beta state. Okay. So that's consciousness. That's that level right. of conversation. Then that level below, that's that alpha stage. Okay, where we can get there with meditation, but it's kind of that recharge, rest, kind of lucid state that we're in. Then we go into that theta state, which is REM, deep levels of meditation, mental imagery, a lot of that focus point. So because you've been an athlete for so long, and my guess is, is that you would meditate often, you would yeah. mentally visualize a lot, you would uh, do some type of mental visualization work when you were doing a lot of your either prep for uh, the games or prep for um, downhill skiing. You spent a lot of time there. Your body was comfortable. It gets into those stages very, very easily. Mm -hmm. And then the last stage, which is Delta, which is that deep sleep, that slow wave sleep, that dreamless state that we get into. And so, and then the other side of the, the equation is gamma. That's that when you're in the zone, you're conscious, you're in it, but you're just, you're hammering away at work. And it's just like two hours past and you're like, where'd the time go? That yep. type of thing. So those are the different brain waves. And so what happens is based upon what you're in regular, what you get used to. I'll take you for an example. Like I just said, you're used to being in that deep alpha theta, maybe delta stage, not quite so much, but definitely that alpha theta. You are going to naturally, when you sleep, get into it much easier. 
versus somebody who's in constant stress, somebody who's constantly just going from one thing to the next, 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 constantly in that sympathetic state, that sympathetic overload. If you look at their work in times of what they're doing, not to mention that their environment is probably not great, their um, their stress levels are probably not managed very well, they're going to have a much higher affinity of light and uh, of light sleep, pretty much because they're just going into that, coming out of beta, going into alpha, then touching into uh, theta, maybe even a little bit of delta, and then coming back out of it. And so right. that's the whole concept of what you're, why you're getting more of that is just simply because it's been a learned practice, a learned skill for you. It goes back to the generalizations that we ha- hear all the time. Meditation is good for you. You should meditate for 10 minutes a day. It's not wrong, but why should we meditate? Someone says, I don't want to meditate. I'm not stressed out. I feel fine. <laughs> well, actually, we should be meditating for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, because it's actually going to help us sleep better at night and get into these stages of REM and slow wave sleep, which are the two restorative stages of sleep, the meaningful stages of sleep, much faster and stay there much longer. Thus, over the course of a week, over the course of a month, over the course of a year, we're building up and accruing this sleep bank that ultimately is giving us the advantage over somebody else. Well, all of a sudden you tell them that, and then you start to understand where they are from a brainwave state, where they are from a stress state, where they are DNA and epigenetically from how stress affects their body. Do they show physical symptoms? Does stress affect sleep? Does stress affect caffeine sensitivity? Does it affect any of these things? And if it does, well, now we can start to prescribe certain types of meditation and certain types of mental imagery. And that helps again level up what we're doing, continually um, tweaking the system, continually getting more information and more detailed on what we're having come through. And so, um, and then when you ever, you give the why behind things, people are much more likely to buy in, much more likely to do it. And it all comes down to that communication factor. Oh, yeah, I love that because I'm going to bring this exact conversation and go tell my boyfriend who refuses to meditate and, um, and, but he has really, really light sleep. His we'll sleep in the same bed and his, my disturbances is like three or four and he has like 17 and it's like, well, what were, what were you doing? And, uh, and it's just so crazy. I have the high rem, he gets pretty low, low rem on average. And, um, you know, what he noticed, which was odd is every time on his whoop that he puts in that he had a beer, his recovery and sleep is amazing. And I'm like, how, like mine is the exact opposite. Right. Um, but for him, maybe that's putting him immediately into this relaxed state or pattern interrupt when he has that rare beer that somehow is, you know, we would think that it would probably not impact your sleep well, but for some reason for him, it's consistently helping his sleep, but only because maybe he's just in this pattern of going, going, doing, doing, and maybe it puts him in this relaxing, just chill state for a while. And so it's, it's funny you bring that up because, uh, alcohol is naturally going to actually reduce our ability to get into deeper waves or deeper stages of, uh, brainwave, uh, function, deep, deeper levels of sleep. It's actually going to inhibit that. But what happens is it's not the alcohol that's doing that to him. It's kind of exactly what you just said. The alcohol is thus creating an effect for him. It's just like the smoker. When you, somebody may go and smoke 
And we all know what it's doing to your lungs on the inside. We all know what it's doing to your body. We all know the addictive processes and the tar and um, the carcinogens and everything that you're taking in. Right. That's not relaxing the person. But what is, is it's the deep breaths that they're now taking. And so by nature, the habits in which they start to do simply by doing the action that's unhealthy is helping them get into those areas. So my guess is that when he's engaging in having a beer, he's probably not having a beer and running from his laptop to his (laughs) phone to making dinner to this to that. He's probably having a beer, maybe sitting down on the couch, having a conversation with you, relaxing a little bit more, kicking his feet back, and just enjoying things. But because he does that so seldom, he's not able to tap into that. Right. And, that guy, and, and I have, the, I've had this conversation with so many people, especially um, at the, uh, at the executive level where they just go, 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 go. And they actually turn and they, they can drive themselves in the way of alcoholism because they're like, Hey, I come home at the end of the day and I have two or three beers and I feel so much better. And it's not because <laughs> It's not, it's not because of the alcohol. I want to get that out of people's heads. It's not the alcohol in which creates that because you're not under a table every night. Yeah. But what it is, is it's the act of what do you do when that happens? I said, I said, do you take meetings at nine o'clock after you have, after you've had a couple beers, when you come home, are you sitting there and um, are you physically uh, answering emails and stuff? Well, no, when, whenever I open up a beer, I cut every, I cut every tie off from, from the office. And I do that three to four days a week because I need to do that. Great. What if we were just able to put that line in the sand and cut the ties from those stressful situations without the addition of the alcohol? Because that's all it is. It's a change in environment. It's a change in habit that's taking us and getting the physiological effect. And to be honest with you, we can go deep into this is it all comes back to the HRV. It all comes back to your heart rate variability. It all comes back to that intrinsic monitoring of that one key metric that is a internal metric load of stress or sympathetic overload on the body. Because our body doesn't know the difference between mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, any other type of stress. It just sees yeah. it as stress. It sees it as one key topic. And thus our body's going to react accordingly. So if we have a way in which, and a system and a default to which we're going to move into, that's ultimately going to help us, again, create these, these habits that are right for us and get us the results that we're looking for. Mm, I, I love that you brought up HRV because that's exactly where I want to go with this is, is to touch on HRV um, because I think it's something that I haven't uh, talked with anyone on the podcast yet. But going back to the alcohol thing, like uh, when I was competing, I never drank. Like I actually, when I turned 19, I didn't drink till 21, I think. Uh, I took two years because I thought that was my way to get ahead of, you know, my fellow snowboarders that were partying and doing things. And then when I, I found when the pandemic happened, I did enjoy having a craft beer one night a week or maybe a glass of wine another night a week. And uh, but then I thought I was like, because I know what it does with recovery that I was like, I don't I don't want to do this, even if it is just the one drink. Uh, but I do like how it makes me feel with the re- getting relaxed and cutting ties from the workday and being in this state. So what I did was I bought non-alcoholic beer. And I bought that recently and I found it, it triggers the same circuitry. I drink that, that beer when it's like the cutoff and I'm like, oh, let's just relax. 
And I find that it taps into that same of like cutting off the day and just chilling and, and progressing. And so then I don't have to have this alcoholic beverage. It kind of inhibits the same, you know, circuitry in my brain. I find just to have that non-alcoholic beer and replace it. Totally. And, and there's, um, there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different things that you can put in there to kind of create that same effect. But the reason I love coming back to HRV is that HRV is such a unique number for us and such a unique metric is because it, uh, it's, it's not your heart rate. It's not um, something that can be changed based off of uh, just the environment in which you're in. But rather, it is the timing in milliseconds between the R waves of the time in which the heart beats. And so it has a truly systemic, I guess, overhaul of the way the vagus nerve is affected to the heart, which is affected to the lungs, which is affected to the brain. And that whole circuitry that happens in there allows us to understand the stress load that our body feels, even though we may not cognitively understand that we are under a stress state. And so because of the sensitivity of that measure of HRV, we can start to really get a really unique number. And this is where I'll, I'll start to open up on all the wearables. I'm obviously, like I said, the self-proclaimed data guy. I've, <laughs> I've loved it for, for as long as I can imagine. And so I'm a wearable nerd. I love DNA. I love epigenetics. I love biomarkers. I love all these things to give us information to apply to it. But what a lot of people don't know is that your wearables are very highly unreliable. Um, I, I, I've got a bio strap, I've got a whoop band, I've got an aura ring, I've got <laughs> uh, a polar heart rate monitor, I've got, you name it, I've got about four or five on me at all times. Why? Because I want to know more. So for example, the other day, I did a workout that uh, was very intense in nature, uh, very or interval based. Uh, it was about 40 off a heart rate monitor okay the uh heart rate monitor got me to 587 calories uh an average heart rate of 133 and a peak heart rate of 179 then one of the monitors on my wrist had me at 243 calories had me at a peak heart rate of 165 and an average of 123 i've got it i've got i did a whole piece of content on this um, then the other one on my finger had me at one uh, or had me at 327 cals, uh, 169 peak and 130 average, something of that nature. Okay. And then I had another wearable that had me again. It was, it was a different series of numbers. But if you notice, not one of them were the same. Yeah. My calories were anywhere from 580 to 230, like Vast difference. I peak, ignore calories completely on, on the wearable. One peak heart rate of 179 to 162 or something like that. And then average was different as well. Well, all of a sudden, you start looking at these this information. And depending on the wearable, they'll give you strain scores. They'll give you training load scores. They'll give you output scores. What does that matter? Why are we looking at that? What information is that giving us knowing that it's incorrect because yeah. the because at the end of the day, the heart rate strap that's connected to me is the gold standard. I know that my peak heart rate was 179. 
I know that my average heart rate was 143. Why? Because I was wearing a heart rate monitor. I know what it was. It, 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 it's directly correlated to my heart. They are, they're the gold standard. They, there's nothing yeah. that beats them. So why am I looking at everything? But here's the key. And here's the key thing that is, is incredible. The next morning, guess what my HRVs were saying? Were they um, all the same? 88, 89, 90. Wow. Every single one of them. So even though all the BS on the outside that's going on, you're looking at all this stuff, confusion. I often say, if you can't convince somebody, you confuse them. Mm. If you cannot, I'll say it again. If you can't convince somebody, you confuse them. Because at the end of the day, the person that's trying to do the confusing or the convincing doesn't know it well enough anyways to be able to truly get you to understand. So they just try to confuse you and you're, oh, I guess he's right. Or I guess she's right. Yeah, I guess you I'll see that a lot in the marketing world. All the time. And so what ended up happening is you take that HRV metric and that is what drives your decisions. And when you can simplify it down or deduce it down to one key metric that now is based upon eight series or eight systems within the body that I spoke about earlier and those habits in which are driving that, then everything else doesn't matter. The intensity of your workout, it doesn't matter because it's going to be reflected in your HRV. Yes. And that's going to help guide where we go. It, it, the, the, the amount of sleep that you got in terms of total quantity time, it, it, sure, it's great to look at it. But again, the, the efficiency, the, the efficacy of it, doesn't necessarily matter because it's going to be derived and told to you whether it's been accurate, adequate, or sustainable or not through your HRV. The food you're eating, we know that there are certain amounts that are uh, appropriate. We know that portion sizing is important. We know that quality is there that needs to be there. But again, we're looking at it based off of HRV because it's going to have an effect on us. Now, is it important to get your DNA testing, your epigenetic testing, and dive deeper into what you truly need so that we can identify that on a greater level? Yes, that's another level down. But for just getting into it, for just looking into it, for just starting to understand things, HRV will be that metric in which you can create it on anything that you have. Wow. I'm, I'm going to look closer at the HRV because it's something that I always struggle with. For example, I ignore the calories in the whoop because it will literally, I'll work out all day and be like, oh, you need to eat 1800 calories. I'm like, that should be my base, basic metab metabolic rate. When my nutritionist used to give me like 3000 calories to eat in a day, my whoop would say way less and versus I would still be getting leaner. And I was like, well, this just doesn't make any sense. So I, I kind of throw that out. But then I've been noticing lately, like depending even how I'm wearing it or just different things, it's like I do a really hard CrossFit workout. And if it's a fast sprint, it's like, it'll tell me my workout was such a low strain. And I'm like, you know, I, especially you look, you're on a team on your whoop team or a scoreboard and you're like, well, people are going to think I do nothing all day, but it's just like, for some reason, it keeps telling me I have a super low strain versus, uh, you know, my boyfriend will do the same workout. And of course, maybe I'm fitter in that workout. Definitely. There's, there's variations there, but it's like, my heart rate was much higher than what it said. And I just know that from feeling what it was, you know, and uh, that's where, that's where we come back to all the time is as much as I use data, as much as I'm the data guy, every piece of the, every piece of data, every piece of information comes back to utilizing it and applying it. So it increases that level of self-awareness. It increases that level of 
understanding it. You it, that it brings that subjectivity, or it brings it brings some type of context, some types of quantifiable metric to subjectivity that thus then is able to be applied and harnessed in a very very impactful way. Yeah. So what what can people like? What do they look for in their HRV, and what how can they maybe improve or what to know? Because I you know a lot of things come out and they say, well, you know, I see Brooke Wells. She posts and her HRV is like 160 something. I'm like, does she have no stress in yeah. her life? And my yeah. HRV is horrible. Like it's chronically just not great. Even though I do all the meditation, I get the good sleep, and it just always been that way. And so for me, I'm like, well, as much as I see that we'll puts out articles and they say, well, don't think about what this other person has. This is just your metric and see what it compares to your average. At the same time, I'm like, well, why does this person have this? And I have this, like, how can I improve or what should I even be looking at? Yeah. So there's eight factors that very heavily affect HRV. Um, and I touched on them a little bit earlier and, uh, we've created a very unique process and system in which we individualize that for people to create massive change in their life and, and energy overhauls, um, which, which really has become special. But um, the interesting thing is, I don't necessarily disagree with that, that HRV is an, an extremely individualized metric. It's an extremely sensitive metric that, that moves. And we want to look at the trend. We don't want to look at it day to day to day, okay. but we want to look at the trend. If you're down extreme or you're up extreme, start to think about what did I do yesterday that mattered? What did I do yesterday that impacted that? And that's where we go back to those eight different areas. So exercise, nutrition, hydration, sleep, stress management, immune function, environment or ecosystem, and mindset. And those eight factors are what impact HRV straight up. There's nothing else that impacts it. it. It's all within those eight areas. And if we can get truly identified and create those, those ideas around that. So did we exercise yesterday? Was the intensity greater or was it less? And in your case, I don't know the frequency in which you're training or the intensity in which you're training, but you could theoretically be overtraining in a certain aspect. And that HRV metric coming back to us is saying, hey, we can still lift or we can still do something, but we need to tone down the intensity at which we're doing it at to allow that rebound in HRV. So that's one. Two is, again, comes down to whole foods, comes down to, and I have another three to one rule, three meals a day, two pieces of fruit a day, one big salad a day. Are, are you hitting that? Are you doing that? All high quality food. Hydration, half your body weight in ounces. If you're not hitting half your body weight in ounces, you're missing out big time. 75% uh, of our body is made up of water. 85 of our key org, 85% of our key organs, brain, lungs, and heart, are made up of 85% water. If if we're not hitting half our body weight in ounces, we're dehydrated. We're living in chronic dehydration. Right. Uh, stress management. If we don't have some area to alleviate the stress that's going on in our body then we're just simply holding on to it. We're in that sympathetic overload chronically all the time, like I spoke about. Sleep, if we don't have a routine at night to to be able to get into the optimal stage of sleep before ignoring the circadian rhythms that naturally happen in our body, we're not going to be, again, optimizing ourselves in any way, shape, or form. Um, when we go into immune function, we see a three-day decrease in HRV. It tells us right away that our body needs some type of help 
to improve that immune function. And if we're not doing that, if we're not, don't have something immediately there in order to help us, and we can find that through what we're deficient in, uh, through our DNA epigenetic test, then we need to move away from that as well. Uh, environment or ecosystem kind of went over that a little bit as well, like with the uh, EMF uh, radiation that's going on with uh, what uh, our, our bedroom should look like when we're sleeping, what uh, just having a dirty room or a, a dirty kitchen or um, the, the, the types of people around us, sound pollution, all these things. Check your environment that you're in constantly, especially now that you're at home. And then from the mindset piece, um, it's, it's the way you think, the way you talk to yourself, the people in which you engage with. Um, my, uh, my fiance uh, does some amazing mindset work, amazing leadership work, where she's taken all these different assessments that some that she's created, uh, some that she's worked with a lot of doctors to create, where you're talking about 100, 150 white pages on a lot of this stuff that all of a sudden quantifies the way we think, quantifies leadership, quantifies um, wow. communication. And so when we start to identify the mindset and ways in which we're operating, the choices that we're making and how we communicate and how we show up, it very there's there's a seven scale in which he talks about bottom two levels are uh, catabolic energy top five are anabolic energy catabolic being more focused on that sympathetic nervous system sympathetic activating where anabolic more on that parasympathetic side so again going back to that stress management factor where our mindset controls and is done elicited a lot through our hrv so it's understanding those eight areas that I just kind of went over really quickly, but being able to then have a system and operate it of to what that looks like and how it's applied to our HRV to optimize ourselves long-term. And we get more and more and more and more detailed and more efficient. And it's amazing the overhaul that happens over the course of those iterative steps that we started talking about at the beginning. Wow. And so do you see like for when you work with people, is it just to to see, okay, we want your, your HRV, let's say you always are getting maybe a, a 70. So we want you to be at like that 70, or is it really like working on all those pieces to increase it till all of a sudden 160 is their average? So it's, it's not uncommon. We've had, we've had people that have uh, been as low as nine continually. Like when it's kind of, like, <laughs> I thought nine, I was bad, but nine. It's <laughs> nine, like, and and all of a sudden now they're ninety-two. Um, wow. Where it's not uncommon to see ninety-two, uh, but their average is say eighty. Um, and and you and it and it does. It takes a the course of time to create these habits that start to elicit this, and it's your body saying what you're doing is not working, but because our body is looking for homeostasis, looking for this level of neutrality, something that's by definition, homeostasis is the, is the norm where you live at, on average. That's what your body's looking for, a level of consistency. Even if that consistency is not optimal for your body, it will try to live there. So if you live in a chronic state of stress, that becomes your norm and it doesn't seem out of the norm to you. Perfect example, when's the last time you went on vacation? You go on vacation, you start sitting on the sand the first day there, you have a massive level of anxiety because you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Your body doesn't feel that sense of stress that's typically on you. And so that puts your body in a state of allostosis, which is trying to seek out the level of homeostasis. And so all of a sudden, if you're in allostasis continually, it's going to level up somewhere. And if your body was always programmed to be, okay, I just want to be rest, digest, relaxed. It would be in a constant state of seeking 
that that level. But because you're constantly stressed, you're not going to find it. And so when you go and sit on the beach, it's like, oh, my God, this is new. And it takes you two to three days to actually settle in and feel like, okay, yeah, this is really good. But then when you go back to the grind or back to the, the stress and the everyday habits in which you had before, you go back through that level of anxiety and like, oh, my God, I can't handle this. It's like, but then you settle back into that routine and that becomes the norm. And so it's that awareness factor that your body will always go to where it's it's comfortable and what it's continually being put on us day in and day out. If we're not careful about what that is, that has an ability to absolutely crush us long term. Mm, yeah, wow, that that brought up a lot of things. So uh, like on this podcast, we've had a lot of athletes to talk about the transition outside of, of, of sport. And for me, that's something in my story that was really difficult, like loss of identity and all these things outside of sport. But one thing that was major was uh, when I talked with my therapist after he brought up something similar where he said, for me, I was getting, you know, um, find, trying to find stress in relationships with friends, like picking arguments about nothing, you know, or thinking, oh, you don't like me because of this or whatever it was or different things in my life and dealing with the mental health I was. And he was like, well, think about it. You spend every day in this high adrenaline stress state of snowboarding, like fearful, like you're going to hit this jump and all these things, all of a sudden you don't have that anymore. And your body is trying to find some way to get like get the stress response in everyday life. And I think that goes for anyone who's experienced trauma or they're recovering from anxiety, depression. There's our bodies. If we've lived in that for so long, they try to go back to that. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And that's, and that's literally what it comes down to. And so your body will live in this, this sense of, um, uh, this state of seeking, this state, this chronic state of stress, just simply because it doesn't know any better, and it's bit, and it's going to continually look for that because that is the norm in that space. Yeah, is it similar to like when we were talking about Tom Brady with his ACL, and that was like the moment that like snaps you into, okay, I need to take care of these things. Is there a moment that people can do? Like, is there something that happens? They reach burnout, and all of a sudden things need to change, or can they kind of snap themselves out of it and be like, hey, I need to work on these things? You always hope that it happens before a, a catastrophic event happens. Yeah. But but for a lot of people, they need that they need that wake up call. They need that big aha moment. They need that that heart attack. They need that. Uh, they need that mental nervous breakdown. They need um, that. Uh, they need their wife to say that they're leaving them, or their husband to say that they're leaving them, or they need their kids to get mad, or they need uh, an injury to happen. Something of that nature. Uh, and I'm talking obviously both from what I've seen from the executive world, um, uh, business world, entrepreneurial world, uh, as well as the the athletic world. But oftentimes it's if. And that's quite often where we come in is if we can create the awareness to what's going on and the habit 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 patterning and uh, the triggers that are that are going on, we can all of a sudden create this system or pattern interrupt quicker before that catastrophic event happens and reroute the path to I hate this word, but to high performance um, much quicker. Mm, that's that's awesome I love that and everything we've talked about man I, I feel like I, we could nerd out about this all all day but respect your time and really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing these tips there's a couple quick questions I like to ask everyone at the end and maybe we'll do this again and we can dive into some other pieces of those those eight things um, that, that can help people but uh, for for one thing and I think this would be a kind of a cool question to ask you who focuses on so many things um, so I ask everyone what is one 
daily habit that you do that is the biggest game changer in your life? And I know there's so many things under all those categories, but if you could pick one, what would that one be? Go to bed at the exact same time. Mm, I've heard that lately. The consistency matters even more than, you know, the length of time that you're, you're asleep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's number one. Awesome. So this this next question, I've been I've been tweaking it and changing it uh, recently because I always ask. I say, when you're say a hundred years old, you're looking back on your life. Um, what would you want your legacy to be? And one of my latest guests challenged me on that, and I thought it was really interesting. Where he was saying, you know, like most of us, like unless even Shakespeare, there's just a little bit of Shakespeare's writing that we remember, but we don't really remember him as a person or or these things. And so the concept of legacy, and this was someone who was quite quite an accomplished entrepreneur. Uh, uh, you know, he's like, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but maybe just what, what was my purpose? What did I want to accomplish? And so I want to turn that question to you and I'm still working on the best way to re-ask that. Um, but if you're looking back on your life, what, what would be that purpose that you wanted to have had the impact that you wanted to have made? To, and I, to enable people with uh, gifts to be able to pull those gifts out of themselves and allow themselves to be in a state to optimize those to ultimately change the world. Mm, awesome. I love that. I think within everybody, there's some gifts and some of us are lucky enough to find them early on and, you know, go all in on them. And some of us find them later on. But I think if, if we can dive in and really figure out what those things are, and then someone like you to help us both figure that out or and figure out the tools to get them there, that's, um, that's amazing. So appreciate you and all you do and all the amazing information that you share. Thank you so much for, for coming on. No, thank you so much for, uh, for having me, Natalie. I appreciate it. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.